Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. It's great to see all of you here uh, today, uh, back from Easter. We had a great time, a great weekend last weekend celebrating. And uh, the resurrection, talking about what resurrection power uh, might be for us. And then uh, we're going to begin a series today called The Good Book. So I have brought uh, The Good Book. Uh, Everyone knows that you measure your spirituality by the size of your Bible, right? So those of you who use your phones, I don't know what you're going to do with all of this. Um, This is what a Bible should um, look like. This one is actually uh, printed, published in uh, 1855. And uh, it is very difficult uh, to navigate, not only because of... Um, it's old, but also because of the language. A lot of things that uh, read a little funky to uh, a modern reader. And the reason for that, right, is because uh, it's ancient, right? It's, it's an old collection of writings. It's a Bible. And what I want to make sure, I want to kind of tiptoe into this today, because I know in our uh, congregation, we have a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions and ideas and thoughts and experiences with the Bible. Some of you uh, have grown up uh, with a particular reverence for the Bible um, that really probably even supersedes perhaps its intention. Uh, others of you have almost very little regard for it. Uh, some of you have read it. Some of you have not read it. Uh, some of you read it every day. Some of you want to read it every day, right? But you don't, right? I mean, there are all kinds of different perspectives in here. So I want to, but I think it's, it's, it's a worthy pursuit to explain why we read the Bible, why we use the Bible, and how we use the Bible. Because a lot of people uh, have train wrecked to their own faith and the faith of others by the way they use and participate in uh, the good book. In fact, There's a whole growing movement uh, today where it may not even be considered a good book, depending on who you talk to. Uh, When I was growing up uh, a little while ago, uh, you basically, no one taught all the odd passages in the Bible. And so they just lived in obscurity. And now we have Google. And if you just go Google controversial or weird passages in the Bible, you will get a endless list of verses in the Bible that may go, that's in there? And the answer is, yes, it is. And so when we think about this idea, and part of why we're exploring this this way is a lot of us read the Bible to see what the Bible has to say or what God has to say. And I want to flip this a little bit and read the Bible and learn to read the Bible to see what it says about God. And this is a really important for us to understand and to consider in this. I assume that as someone who attends church, comes to church, you have the assumption that you ought to, you should read the Bible. I assume that you probably think at some level you should read it. Is that a fair assumption? Um, I also assume that you probably think you should like to read the Bible. But perhaps you don't. Is that a fair assumption? You've read it and it's like, what is this? Have you ever read the Bible and you don't understand what you're reading? Have you had that experience? Yes, Have you ever read the Bible and you actually disagree with what you're reading? If you haven't, you haven't read the Bible. 
or you're reading it with a lens that you, that's like rose-colored. You're not reading what's actually here. There are lots of things to wrestle with and to struggle with, and God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, his way, has seen fit to preserve this, this book, his word, for us in a very peculiar way for us modern readers. So I want to, again, tread carefully. I want to be very careful not to undermine your experience uh, with the Bible uh, as some sort. I don't want to be sarcastic. I don't want to be condescending. I, I want to come into this open-handed. I want all of us to do this. But what I want us to understand is that the Bible is written, and Clay often reminds us of this, that the Bible is written for us, but it is not written to us. It's, we're going to talk about this in just a minute and over the next few weeks we have together. But a lot of times people try to figure out what the Bible is, what it means, and we usually use, there's about three or four passages, verses that you will see used to describe what the Bible says about itself. And one of the most famous ones comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 15 and 16, or verse 16 and 17, sorry, and it says this, that all Scripture is inspired by God, or some versions say God breathed. It is useful for teaching for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, and the, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And everybody kind of reads this and says, oh, that settles it. It means that the Bible is God-breathed, and it means that it's all-sufficient for you and me to learn and to grow and to become and to do God's will in this world. There are about three problems with that. One is there are a lot of questions in that that need to be kind of asked. Uh, what does it mean to be God-breathed? What does it mean? What does it mean, uh, all Scripture? What is Paul talking about? Did he know that he was writing what would be considered all Scripture when he was writing this letter to Timothy? Because that's actually what it is. This passage comes from a letter that Paul is writing to a younger pastor saying, look, you're responsible for these churches and this movement of the work of Jesus in this area. I want you to pay attention to some things. He goes through leadership structure. He goes through a lot of our leadership um, uh, uh, ways to lead the church. He goes through uh, different uh, things that are going on. And then he comes to this place. And if you back up and you add the two verses in this context, it'll begin to read just a little bit differently. And please hear me. It doesn't mean this isn't un, is untrue. It doesn't mean the Bible is not God-inspired or God-breathed. It means none of those things. It just starts to give us perspective for how we read and process the Scriptures. If you back up just two verses, instead of pulling this one sentence out of Paul's letter, if you begin to read it in context, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's giving him some advice and some encouragement for what is going to be required of him as he leads this movement of Jesus. And you could back up even 10 verses, but if you back up just two, this is what you notice. But as for you, and he's talking to Timothy, but as for you, Timothy, I want you to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Why? Because you know those from whom you have learned it. You notice what he says there. I want you to continue, and I want you to, to continue to be convinced and develop this because not because the Bible says, but because you trust those from whom you have learned this. Then he adds this, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You grew up with access to the Hebrew Bible, Genesis through Malachi. You grew up with the, with the prophets, the law, the Psalms. That's how it would be described, the Holy Scriptures. 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all scripture is inspired, is God breathed. It is profitable, useful for teaching, for instruction, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that every person would be thoroughly equipped for the good purposes that God has for them. And what you notice is a couple of things right off the bat that are very, very important for us to understand. That Paul, it says there are two observations here when he starts to set this up. Number one is you are to continue or your, your uh, participation is still based on trusted relationships. On trusted relationships. And number two, the scriptures that you have learned serve a specific purpose, which is to understand your salvation in Christ and all the implications of that. So this, think about this. The most of us, the problem with, with, with coming to church and going, oh, I like this message or I don't like this message, however you feel about it, we'll, that, we'll know in about 20 minutes. But what you end up doing is this, you say, oh, I like that. But then you go to the Bible and you look for all kinds of other things. You, you say, yes, it's, it's profitable for me to understand what it means to live out the salvation that I've received from Christ. But then we go to it for a whole bunch of other things. And the, the problem with the Bible is it doesn't read like I want it to. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even read the way I need for it to. I've been desperate for answers, trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? And I open up the Bible to some random place and you're reading like, this has nothing to do with what I'm trying to understand. God, could you not make this a little easier, a little bit more accessible for me? And, you know, Megan Good I wrote a great book called, um, uh, I think it's called, what's it? uh, The Bible Unwrapped. And she says that we often assume that the Bible should read like human life for dummies. Right? It should be like organized really well. And you should just be able to find what you're looking for and then open up an apply. If, if I were God, that's what I would do. I would create like a much better mechanism um, to do this. So there's, there's some, some things that we have to understand about ourselves and about how we approach anything in order to approach the Bible. Um, all of us began a journey with a question. You open your Bible with some question or some uh, cause that you're either trying to prove or defend or explore, something that you're trying to do. It's oftentimes just sort of underneath. It's not often said. Sometimes you're looking for peace. Sometimes you're looking for guidance. Sometimes it's just a desperate attempt to find anything if God's even there. Sometimes it's an answer to a question or what God thinks about a particular issue or position or thing that you're wrestling with or struggling with. And our minds, the way the human mind works, is we, especially with things that we consider to be good, is we always try to eliminate contradictions. If you believe something to be true and good and right and whole, your mind will almost always try to filter out anything that seems contradictory. Now, the reverse of that is true, too. If you think it's bad or wrong, you're going to live on contradictions. You're going to find them everywhere. This is what our minds do. The other thing about human beings is we are wickedly good at justifying anything. Would y'all agree with that? Like we can justify anything. And then what happens is, so we're trying to justify often what we already think, what we already know, what we're already doing, what we've already done. 
so that we keep getting sort of affirmed and we keep getting um, uh, sort of end up in the same thing that we've always had before. This is what I think a lot, if you, if you watch church history or any history, that's what happens. We get stuck in places and then we just overlay, overlay, overlay until the divide is so big. And our minds always right there. So this is all normal. It's normal for you. It's normal for me. Um, I've had, you know, uh, people talk to me about interpreting the Bible. And I said, you can't just interpret the Bible. You seem to do exactly what it says. We all interpret the Bible. I interpret it from my perspective and I do everything I can to say, Lord, let me come to this in allegiance to you and trusting you. But we all do this. We don't have any other perspective than our own. So we have to be really, really mindful of this. This is normal, which is why we need something more. Today, I can only do so much to get us started in this series. I wish I could do more. I'll leave some questions. I'm going to try not to leave questions that are really disruptive to you because I want for you to read the Bible. I want for all of us to read the Bible. But the way in which you read the Bible, this is why this is so important, because the way in which you read the Bible will inform what you see and believe and think about the issues of our day. It will inform what you see and think about God himself. It will inform the way you think about the way people are treated. It will inform the way you treat other people. When you think that God is saying something to you, right, how you interpret that and use that and live that out affects everything about you. This is why, right, religion has caused more wars than anything else in the history of the world because people think they are acting on God's behalf. What God says to you has merit and value and means something. So we want to really be really mindful and cautious and sensitive to what does God actually have to say. Have you read the Bible and been bothered by the violence in it? I mean, have you read the Bible and been bothered by some of the way? I mean, there's, there's lots of things in there that give us pause. And then you compound that with what's happening in our culture, which I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the discourse in our culture has pretty much gone off the rails. Have y'all noticed this? And unfortunately, people who claim to be Christians haven't done much to add hope to that. All we do is we attach Bible verses to our grenades, right? We just have a reference to the things that we lob. God says this. And so what I'm convinced of that we need as we pursue this together is, number one, is you have to be convinced in order to read the Bible that you, we need each other. We need one another. The Bible was never intended to be read individually. Now, another caveat. We live in the United States of America in the modern age. We have Bibles that we can hold in our hands, Bibles in our pockets. Did, nothing wrong with the digital version, by the way. Um, and so it's very important. I read the Bible privately. I've been reading the Bible, I was calculating this, probably almost every day for almost 30 years. So I have read it a lot. And I'm not a good reader. I'm not a fast reader. I have ADD with the best of them. But I have disciplined myself to read. And I sit down and I read and I open my Bible and I read it. And I'll read a verse and then I'll write down in my journal what I think about that verse or what God seems to be saying to me in that verse. And I've done this since I was probably in college. And a lot of times what it is is here's what the verse was. I have no idea what it means. So I just write something else because I didn't know. But I'm saying, God, can you help me? Can you show me? 
We need other people in our lives to help us wrestle these things out together. Now we have a pretty good practice. Whenever I'm reading or writing messages or in my own quiet time, there's a group of guys that, and uh, people that are around me and I'm often asking, hey, have you read this? Or what do you think about this? Or tell me about this. Or what's your experience with this? Or what do you see in this? And we're just wrestling and wrangling and asking questions. Not to try and figure out loopholes, but to try to understand, God, who are you as we pursue you and how you reveal to us? And um, the second thing, and this is even perhaps more important, is that we need the Spirit of God. The Bible and reading the Bible is not primarily an intellectual exercise. Do you need some understanding? Of course you do. It always helps. Um, do you have enough understanding where you are today to know everything you need to know about the Bible? Of course you don't. So you start somewhere. You start somewhere. But as you read and as God begins to show you things, you'll see things, understand things that you can't believe. It's an incredibly beautiful journey to learning how to read your Bible. So if you have your Bible, I want to show you a couple things in there. Uh, in Luke chapter uh, 28, 24, it's the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There are, there are a lot of places that I wish I could have had, um, I could have had insight or, or been a fly on the wall in the Bible, a lot of them. But this is one of perhaps the most um, envious for me. So Jesus is back from the dead and it's obviously caused a rigmarole in uh, first century Jerusalem because that doesn't happen every day. So there's a madness happening that evidently has the whole community abuzz. And so there are two disciples, it says, this is starting in verse 13, who are on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking about what happened as they're discussing these things with each other. Jesus came up and walked alongside of them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And so he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along the road? And they stood still, their faces were downcast. And one of them asked him and said, are you the one who is visiting, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know what things have happened? Are you the only one who's clueless about this? And Jesus says, what things? He says, things about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word, indeed, before God and all the people. And the chief priests and the rulers uh, had him sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning and didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels and that they said he was alive. Does this sound familiar last week? Then some of the companions went to the tomb and found, just the woman, uh, found the tomb just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did the Messiah not have to suffer all of these things and then enter his glory? And listen to this. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to explain to them what was said in scriptures concerning himself. How cool would that be? He goes through the whole thing. And then they still don't get it. And later on it says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. And you'll see this again, Echo, and I want to read this to you because he appears to his disciples, same thing happens. Verse 44, he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He is talking about the old covenant, the holy scriptures. And then what does he say? Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. 
there are a lot of people who know a lot of things about the Bible and do not know Jesus. The purpose of the Bible is not to know how to live. It's not to know what things God is cool with or what things God is not cool with. The purpose of our scriptures is to help us to know Jesus and to live out the implications of the salvation that was brought and bought in him. So this is why this matters. Because a lot of us, we approach the Bible like this. A lot of us approach it as though um, it's kind of, of a roadmap. So you're trying to figure out if you should go to Duke or Carolina. I mean, like, isn't that obvious? And, and so you're reading, God, can you show me what to do? Can you show me what school to go to? Can you show me, you know, uh, what, who, who to marry? Can you show me if I should date this person? Could you, you know, it's like this roadmap. We're trying to, trying to figure out what God is doing. And the second way, we read this like you're trying to put together a gas grill. Like it's an instruction manual. It's like, here's all the pieces. Can you help me put this together so, it, so I can make this work like it's supposed to? So we go to the Bible, we're looking for, for a principle that we can pull out and apply. And you come to church and you go, let me get a nugget that I can apply to my life, which is all, those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. It's just, there's just more. Some of us, we go to the Bible and we look for it. It's like our personal coach. Nothing wrong with personal coaches. What you're doing is you're like claiming every promise for yourself. And everything is like an inspirational speech to get you on your merry way to do the thing that you're supposed to be doing. So it's like this pep got all the time, like, hey, here we go, you can do this. You got this, one more, one more, one more. And we read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, like they're a graduation speech. You heard this before? I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and to give you a future without considering that it is written to a people who are captive and held hostage or imprisoned in another country. And that the promise was still 70 years off when they're giving them this message. And all of a sudden it reads much differently. It's not a pep talk at a grad speech. There's something else for us. Or perhaps you use it to find sort of theological bricks. You want to find a verse that supports your position to support your thoughts on an issue. And then what do you do with those bricks when you find them? Boom, right? You just throw them at somebody. Or you build a wall to keep those people out. And all these ways, anybody ever known anybody who used the Bible in any one of these four ways? Anybody ever done this? So what is it that we're reading? I want to be really, really, really careful does the Bible provide guidance and inspiration and personal instruction? Yes. Yes. I have been so discouraged, whether I was in my teens or 20s or a month ago, and I pick up the Bible and I read out of it, and it's a nugget, and God just gives me something that, that okay, I can, I can breathe, right? Yes, he does that. Yes, he does that. So don't, don't think that I'm saying that that's not important or doesn't happen. Does, can you develop theological positions from the scriptures? Of course you can. You, you should. Our views on money and sex and church governance and all these things, the role, all these things should be informed by what God has, has to say. 
I believe in childlike faith. I believe that we are invited to behold and to wonder and to be curious and to believe. But I've also learned in my journey that the gospel is sweeping and that it's comprehensive and it affects every area of my life and it challenges me very, very, very deeply and oftentimes in very disruptive and very uncomfortable ways. And so I have to work really hard to stay curious and to not get stuck. And unfortunately for you, because I'm your pastor, I get to inflict all of this, right, on you. But it's because we need each other. We need one another to read and to process that, God, what is it you have to say to us in this particular moment? The longer that I've walked with the Lord, and this, what, what I have found in my own personal reading with the Bible, my own personal journey with the Bible and with other people, is that my relationship with him has become more real and I have more confidence in the scriptures than I ever have before. And with that confidence, I have become unafraid of questions, including my own. I have lots of questions. And I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to wrestle with them because I've learned that God is okay with that. He's more than willing to walk with me and to reveal himself to me so that I know him more and more and more. And that happens often in my own journey through the scriptures. There are simple truths to be found in the Bible. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You should hold on to that, believe that, and trust that. But there's also nuance and complexity. And what is missing most often in the most difficult of circumstances and issues in our culture is just that. It's recognizing the complexity and the nuance that is required to deal and to address and to participate in those things in a meaningful way. I have said this before, but I think a lot of us, we hold on to a black and white view of the Bible for fear that the truth will become gray. But the freedom of giving up a black and white view, for me, has become that the truth actually got color. It's become beautiful, and it's become compelling in ways that I never, ever imagined. And what we need to do is to learn how to read, not for information, to sort of figure out how to make our lives work or to make our, win our arguments, but rather for our hearts and souls to be transformed into the image of the one whom we have been created. There's a really good book called Geography of Grace. And they use this because they, the, the puzzle is with Jesus specifically, but the whole Bible is like this. But Jesus didn't just answer a question. Ask him a question and he tells you a story. Or worse, he asks you another question, which is annoying as I'll get out. And this is their sort of take on this. It's written by uh, Chris Rock and Joel Van Dyke, not to be um, confused with the other Chris Rock, different Chris Rock. We are convinced that Jesus wanted to subvert our human addiction to explanation wherever possible. Our demand that things be explained to us so we can put to bed any doubts. Opening us up to the possibility of communion with the Father and the promise of transformation that such communion holds for us. To read the Bible is to enter into it. To read the Bible is to sort of enter into its pace and its story. What is it that we are reading? What is this thing that we read? The Bible, the word, literally means collection or a library, a holy library. You know that, right? What you have is 66 different uh, books or um, writings 
all bound up into one volume. The Old Covenant was probably uh, bound and sealed uh, sometime. It was actually written into Greek, translated into Greek about 70 years uh, before Jesus, another topic. And then the writings of the New Covenant um, were all circulated in the early church uh, for about uh, 250 to 300 years before they were actually put into, hey, this is what we believe are the sort of the canon, the, the final version of what we come to know as our Bibles. And so the 66 books are broken into 39 books of the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Old Covenant, and 27 books in the New. And the Old Covenant is the history of God's people and God's pursuit. And then that frames the context for what Jesus would come to fulfill and do and mean for us in our salvation. The Bible is also written over a period of about 1,500 years from the time the first one was written down till Revelation was uh, finally written. Uh, began with Job's, probably the earliest writing, and then moving uh, to Revelation. So 1,500-year time span covering thousands of years of human history. It was written by approximately 40 different authors. Some were kings. Some were fishermen, some were tax collectors, some were priests, some were Pharisees. Vast perspective, all coming together to give us what we have today. So here's what I want to do, and this is what I'm going to give you today. If you have your uh, phone, whether you can take a picture of this, if you're writing this down, this is what I want you to know. Um. I've written a statement on what, how we view the Bible, and I've done this deliberately not using language that we are familiar with. Because we often say things and say words, and then we don't really pay attention to the implications of those words. We don't think them through as deeply as what I want for us to do um, in these next few weeks we have together. So the statement reads like this, that the Bible, what we hold in our hands today, is a collection of writings that reveal God's love, his pursuit, and his promise of redemption. To understand those three things begins to frame the implications of salvation, of your salvation and my salvation. Not so much that we just get to heaven when we die, but the implications that it holds on our lives here and now, today, and forevermore. It was part of last week's message. It's God-breathed and sovereignly preserved. God-breathed. We're going to talk about that. It's God-breathed and it's sovereignly preserved. What we have in the Scriptures is miraculous the way it is preserved for us. I hope you realize that. By the way, um, this was written in three separate languages, none of which are English. It was Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek is how it came to us. So everything that you have that you read in English is a translation of those things. It is sovereignly preserved. The Bible reveals to us who God is and what he has to say. We write that very specifically. The word of God is what God has to say. All of us know people and have been exposed to people in places where people used the Bible to say things that we know God had no intention of saying, right? 
We've all heard this. So it's not a matter of did the Bible, is it recorded in the Bible? It's is this what God has to say? There's a, there's a spirit animated element and a human element in both of these things for us to discern and understand God's word to us. So the Bible reveals to us who God is and what he has to say, ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ as the clearest revelation to God. It's what we saw him tell the disciples on the Emmaus Road. It's what he tell the disciples in the room where they were gathered. It's what he said to the Pharisees in John 5. He says that you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you're going to find the roadmap, instructions, some kind of thing to, to find eternal life. But, he says, the very scriptures, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. That's what Jesus said. It's what I have to do. I have to wrestle. I built a lot of theological positions about all kinds of things based on verses that I've pieced together in the Old Testament. And I've got to decide, does what Jesus say trump, usurp, I guess is a better word, my carefully built boxes of theology that I have built on? Because what Jesus says is all those are about me. I am learning to read the Bible through the lens of the finished work of Jesus to understand the implications of my salvation. That's what I'm learning to do, and we're going to do that together. So we're going to practice in our remaining moments. And I want you to consider some things, because the, the point the point of reading the Bible isn't to read the Bible to make God think you're serious about faith or whatever else, I don't know what else, other reasons you might have. It's to enter in to God's story. And I, I can only say this as plainly as I know, and I cannot overstate that there is no shortcut for reading. There just isn't. You have to, and it doesn't take hours, but it does take some time. I spend, uh, you know, when I started, 10 minutes, and I would set a timer for 10 minutes. I didn't check email, didn't check notifications, turn my phone on, on whatever I have to do, and I read straight for 10 minutes. Or I meditate on a passage for 10 minutes if it's a shorter passage. But there is no substitute for reading. Uh, and I say that again as someone who struggles to read, who's taken a, a, a enormous efforts to learn um, how to read. I didn't really learn to read until I was about 42 years old, so that's good news for some of you. It's bad news for others. But you read and you, and you enter into this place to, to sense God's breath as you read the words that he's breathed. And so you read this, and it'll be on the screen, right? All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable. It's useful. For what? For teaching. For teaching. For rebuke. Not, not to make you feel guilty, but to bring some things in light. It's for correction, to return you to the way that you have been intended to live, to train you in matters of living rightly before God and before others. This is righteousness and justice. This is to train us. 
so that, right, you may be equipped for every good work. It's, 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 a, it's a good, you, that you might experience, you might be positioned for the life you've been intended to live. So here's how I want you to kind of process this, these four kind of questions. As you sort of enter his presence and enter his story and sense his spirit, his breath, is there something you need to learn? I mean, we're adults, right? We don't need to learn anything. Is there something you need to learn? Have you considered, when's the last time you thought about that? Do you need to learn what it's like to care? Because maybe you're numb. Do you need to learn what it's like, right, to, to read again, to love again, to feel, what, what, what do you need to learn? Do you learn how to handle something that has happened to you? What do you need to learn? Is there something that separates you? Like this is what he means by to rebuke is to expose sin. And it's not to make you feel bad about what you've done. It's to recognize that sin separates you. It separates you from him. It separates you from yourself. It creates gaps in our integrity. It robs us of wholeness. Is there something that separates? So you say, God, can you, this is what your word, can, can you show me those things? God, is there a question that needs to be asked? Some of you have questions and you're afraid to ask them because it's gonna sound like doubt or disbelief. Is there a question that needs to be asked? And number four, is there a struggle that needs to be entered? Most of us, our prayers are, God, can you get me out of this struggle? He's like, nope, you need to enter this one. Because it's in this perseverance that the work is going to be brought to fullness so that you are complete, lacking nothing. It's James 1. So if you get a spiritual nugget from the Bible, you thank God for it. Right, you thank God, God, thank you for saying or showing me or letting me see. So anytime you get any insight, you say, God, thank you for letting me see this. It is a work of his spirit, not your intellect. And you worship him and you thank him for that. When it feels dry, you say, Lord, let me keep seeking. Let me see, keep knocking. Let me keep asking. This is, this is how you respond to us. Let me say you invite us. Sometimes you will have more questions that answers, that is part of the work by which we come to know him. It's why we need one another and we need his spirit. And make no mistake about it, the formation of his image into your life will be a wrestling match. If you aren't wrestling with God, you are probably not being formed. It is a wrestle. You wrangle, God, can you help me? Can you show me? Let me see this, your pursuit of me, your love for me, your promise of redemption. And it's, it says it's, it's beneficial if you'll enter in to his presence and into his story. So we're gonna close. We're gonna declare this song, prayer together. As we say, Lord, could you open our hearts? Would you, would you open me up to things that I need to be available to and for that perhaps I um, need a little coaxing.
Could you help me do that? Little instruction or rebuke or correction or training. Father, would you, in these moments, I, I hope that we will be compelled to read the scriptures. But more than that, I ask that we would be curious about what the scriptures reveal about you. What we see from them about you. God, teach us to follow and heed the spirit, to see Jesus in everything that's given to us. Father, as we do, we would find that they are wholly sufficient for the life that you intend for us to live. So I ask you to do that. And I'll lift the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. I want to invite you to stand as we sing together and close our time.